Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. As we are standing, we can go to the word of the Lord today. The book of Genesis, the 25th chapter. Genesis 25. And begin reading in verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. Amen. So a familiar passage, a story today. Uh, I want to preach to you from this title, uh, Birth Orders and Birth Rights birth orders and birth rights. Turn to a few people, greet them in the name of Jesus as you're seated today. Amen. We, we are all familiar with birth order because we all fall in line somewhere. How many here are firstborns? Firstborns. Okay. How many are the baby? And so as we all come to understand that birth order uh, has uh, some effect on our childhood and how we grow up, um, there are all kinds of philosophies and beliefs and, and systems out there, studies on character traits just solely based on your birth order. They've analyzed people and grouped them all together. Um, but 4,000 years ago, I don't think they were too concerned much with the character traits of the firstborn or the baby or the middle child or whatever birth order you were in. Because what really mattered most, really, was whether you were the firstborn or not. Because in the Hebrew nation, in the Hebrew customs, if you were the firstborn, when it came time to the inheritance, you would get twice as much as your siblings. Deuteronomy 21, 17, but he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for, his, for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath, for he is the beginning of his strength, and the right of the firstborn is his. And so that's obviously, or was obviously, a pretty big deal 
Um, I'm not sure how it played out in other civilizations, but it may have been similar. Uh, but we know that in a monarchy, uh, the firstborn son becomes king. He's next in line to the throne. And everyone else stays a prince, and that's as high as you go. Uh, and so obviously that's a pretty big deal. You're either a king or a prince. There's a huge difference uh, in that firstborn or secondborn or third or fourth or last. So it's really a, a life-altering event. And really, there isn't anything that we can do about it. Man, as soon as we open our eyes in this world, the choice has already been made. Either we're the firstborn or we're the baby or whatever. We have, we have no say in our birth order. We, we can't go back in time and start over and be born again uh, and, and say, well, this time I'm going to be the firstborn and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be about me, I guess. And, but when it comes to our birth order, what we see is really what we get. I mean, that's the way things worked out. Uh, and so we have to make do uh, with how things have happened. And so that is why... When a young boy named Joseph, who was number 11 out of 12 in the birth order. He was number 11 out of 12, way at the end of the line. And when Joseph had a dream that all of his siblings would bow down before him, and he shared it with his older brothers because they're brothers, right? That's going to... He believes that's going to happen one day, so you might as well tell him about it. And, and what happened is, is all his older brothers, they laughed at him. And they, they mocked at him. Uh, they even said, here, here comes this dreamer. What shall we do with him? What are we going to do with him? And they even conspired to kill him. Kill his, their own brother. Uh, he was number 11. And, and the first 10 says, hey, we don't like what this young guy is saying. Uh, and so why did they do that to their own brother? Well, because he was number 11. There was no chance, no chance for Joseph to make it to the front of the line. Right? I mean, if you're number one, the firstborn can say, I can see I had a dream that everyone is bowing before me. That would maybe fall in line with their customs because the firstborn and, and everything that go, that went with that. Uh, but uh, for the number 11 to say that, that means obviously either a, a major tragedy had to have happened and, you know, the first 10 were taken out and there's number 11, he's next in line. But obviously, uh, most likely that was not going to happen. And so uh, for number 11 to make it to the front of the line and the 10 older brothers to just bow down to number 11, uh, that's not how things worked. Not now, not in the past, and not never. And that's, that's what Joseph's brothers were thinking, that that kind of stuff just doesn't happen. The number 11 just doesn't rise up and say, number 10, the first 10, let's bow down before me. And so uh, it just doesn't happen. So you keep on dreaming, Joseph. You keep on dreaming, little dreamer. But what they didn't understand was that Joseph wasn't dreaming these things up himself. That Joseph's dreams were given to him by God Almighty. 
And when God gives you a dream, it's not going to just vanish away in the night. No, when God gives you a dream, it's for a reason, and there's a pretty good chance that it's going to come to pass, that it's going to happen because God said it, and so I believe it, and he intends to do something about it. And so in the natural world, in the natural birth order, Joseph was at his limit. He's, he's at 11. That's where his place is. Um, and so he was maxed out against his brothers, and there was nothing that he can do. But then that's when God planted this dream into his mind. And when the Almighty steps into your situation, guess what? your situation has a pretty good chance of changing. Uh, even though you may be number 11, that doesn't matter when God gets involved in your life uh, about that. Uh, once God gets involved, all of a sudden everything changes. The rules change. Uh, things don't apply anymore. Why? Because God is now involved. The natural laws don't really have to apply any longer. Because you've got a supernatural being that is intervening in a situation. And so what happens is those that are limited by the natural try to limit and suppress or even kill off the supernatural. Because the natural doesn't want anything to do with the supernatural. It doesn't want anything to, to be involved. As long as the supernatural is not around, the natural law and order applies. And the firstborn, well, let's just say the firstborn will always be the firstborn. So Joseph's brothers conspired to kill him, and thankfully one of them had a heart and spoke up and said, well, let's not kill him. He's our brother. Uh, let's just throw him in the pit. Uh, and so they did that, but thankfully another brother said, well, let's just not leave him here to die. He is our brother, I guess. Let's treat him a little bit better than that. Let's just sell him into slavery and forget about him. Talk about brotherly love. And so they, they sold him into slavery, and at least they made some money off of him. And so the natural doesn't want to hear the talks of the supernatural. The natural does not want the supernatural around, and the natural will lie, will cheat, will steal, will conspire, will kill, will do whatever it has to do to get rid of that supernatural influence, to get rid of that supernatural power in their life because the natural knows it is no match for the supernatural. And so if it can do if it can silence it, if it can shut it up, if it can push it out somehow, some way, the natural will try to do that. And we see that happening with Joseph and his brothers. But Joseph endured the troubles. He endured the heartache. He endured the pain, the injustice, the, the hatred, the backstabbing. And, and through it all, Joseph held onto that dream. He held onto that dream because it wasn't his. It, that dream didn't come from him. That dream came from a, a, a higher power. And, and you know the end of the story that the dream actually did end up coming to pass. 
and his ten older brothers did end up bowing down to number 11, just like he said, just like he told them. Why? Because that dream came from God, and when God said it, it's going to happen. If he says it, I'm going to believe it. If it's found in the word of God, I can stand on it. I can trust in it. I can depend on it because it came from God. It did not come from man. And so let me tell you today that whatever God has placed in your life, whether it's a dream or it's a vision or it's a word of God, I'm here to tell you, it's going to come to pass. You don't have to worry about it. It's going to come to pass because it came from God. It came from the supernatural world, and it's imparted itself into this natural world. And don't worry if it hasn't happened yet. That's not our job to figure out when it's going to happen, to figure out the timing. Our job is just to hold on to it. Our job is just to believe in it, to not give up. Don't let the natural take away what God has given us and placed inside of our heart. Don't let your surroundings try to steal it from you and suppress it. Just keep on believing. Just keep on praying. Just keep on trusting in God because it's going to happen. Even, even if you are thrown into a pit, just hold on. Even if you're betrayed by loved ones, by your friends and family members, you just keep on holding on to what God has placed in your life because this natural world is fighting against you. It's going to attack you. It's going to try to do its best to discourage you. Why? Because you've got something on the inside. You've got a supernatural ability and power, and this world knows it. And this world, the devil knows it, and the darkness knows it, and they're afraid of it, and so they can do whatever they want to try to get it out of your life. The fact that they know that they cannot stop the will of God. They cannot stop what he's wanting to do in your life. And if you continue following the Lord and leading, uh, living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, you will see what God has promised to come to pass in your life. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that go forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void. Uh, it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whitherto I sent it. And so if God said it, it's going to happen. It's going to prosper, and it's not going to come back void. So we just have to keep holding on to whatever God has spoken or placed in our life, and we will see it come to pass. So God really, God really turned things around in Joseph's family. Now, not just about Joseph's situation. He turned all of that around. It all worked together for the good. They, uh, they meant it for evil, but God can turn evil and make it into good for you. So don't worry about what happens. Uh, but God really, he really messed things up in their family, in the birth order. Because who ended up getting the double portion. It wasn't the firstborn. The one that the law says you give to the firstborn the, the double portion. You know who it was? It was the 11th born. The 11th born got the double portion. Joseph got it because uh, Jacob had 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. And if you go down a list of 12 tribes of Israel, you name them all, you won't find Joseph in there. He's not named. He's not a tribe. But you will find Ephraim and Manasseh. 
their tribes and they're Joseph's sons. So somehow in all of this, number 11 got two kids inside the, the, the tribes of Israel while everyone else only had one. Don't tell me God can't turn things around. Don't tell me he can't turn your situation around and make it for the good. We just got to keep on holding on. Keep on believing to what God has spoken to us. Amen. Don't care what the world says. The natural is going to always fight against the supernatural. And we're going to believe that God can do anything. And so it doesn't matter if history or tradition or custom or the very laws of nature and society uh, speak out against it. Our God is sovereign and he can do what he wants to do. And if he wants the 11th born to get the double portion, if he wants the 11th born to get the right of the firstborn, then that's what's going to happen. This world may not like it. The ten brothers may not like it. But, hey, who's to argue with the will of God? I want the will of God to happen in my life, and I want to follow after him and the leading of his spirit and see his word come to pass. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what the brothers say or what they do or what they don't do. It doesn't matter what a person feels about it. It doesn't matter what the devil thinks about it. If God wants the family to bow to the 11th one, then that's what's going to happen. If, if God wants that to happen in your life, don't worry about what other people say. Don't worry about the naysayers, the negative people, the, the, the unbelieving family members. You just keep on holding on to what God has given you and don't let them steal that away. Don't let it pull them out of you. Don't let them drain your faith. You keep on holding on. Our text transports us to another instance, another struggle between brothers. It's like there's all brothers are always fighting. Genesis 25, 21, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children uh, struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And so even before Rebekah gave birth, her two sons were struggling we're going at it with each other inside her womb. Now, my wife and I, we were blessed to have twins, so personally we can relate a little bit to this. But, however, we did not feel like our girls were struggling with one another. We did not feel like they were at war with each other. She must have been feeling some kicks, some karate kicks and all kinds of chops and all kinds of stuff if they were going at it inside her womb. I mean, granted, there's barely enough space for one baby, uh, and so let alone two. So I get it when, you know, you want your personal space, but when there's not much space to have, uh, you know, things get a little cramped. But she must have really been feeling something if she decided, hey, I got to go to the Lord about this. It doesn't matter who you are. You could all go to the Lord. 
It doesn't, you don't have to come through me. Jesus is the, the mediator between God and man. You just go to Jesus Christ. If, if you got a problem in your life, you just talk to God yourself because he is there. He's not very far from every one of us. We just got to call out and seek him with our heart, and he's there. And so Rebecca said, I got to go to the Lord about this. And the Lord told her that you uh, don't have just two sons in there, but you have two nations. You got two nations in your womb. Now, we, you know, we're, we live in America, this nation, and uh, nations nowadays seem to get, bet, to get better, uh, get along a little bit better than maybe they did, you know, back in the days when they would just invade and take over. But uh, it's one thing to be uh, a family inside of a nation, but it's another thing to have two nations together. Uh, and so that, that implies very different uh, uh, beliefs, very different types of people. Uh, and so uh, she, he said there's two nations inside your womb. One is stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So God is saying that the firstborn is going to serve the secondborn. The firstborn is going to serve and submit to the baby, the secondborn of the family. And so here we go again. God is messing up the natural order of things. The firstborn assumes the patriarchal role uh, and all the other siblings would serve the firstborn. Isn't that kind of how they did things? Uh, But here we don't wait for them to grow up and to find out uh, about this uh, switch that's going to take place, God just goes ahead and declares it ahead of time, and he reveals it to her. Now, we do see this play out later in life when Esau sells his birthright to his brother for a bowl of lentil soup. Um, and so uh, Jacob was, his name does mean deceiver. And so anytime a deceiver is offering you a bowl of soup, you need to watch out, right? But somehow Esau uh, just, I don't know, he was having a bad day or what, but I don't know how you get to the, how you start talking about your birthright and and giving that up for some soup. But uh, so nonetheless, uh, Jacob was a deceiver. Uh, It means supplanter, heel grabber, as exactly what he did when he came out of the womb. He grabbed a hold of his brother's heel, and that must have been the sight to see. But we see that in Genesis 25, and the first came out red all over a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and in his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and he, his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was uh, 60 years old when she bare them. And and so... um, what a sight to see uh, the young, younger one just coming out and grabbing a hold of his brother's heel. I mean, he barely, they, they don't even really have their eyes open, really, but he grabs a hold of his brother's heel. How cute, right? Uh, that was a sign of what was to come. The firstborn was to serve the youngest. And so the birth order would somehow be switched and whether symbolically or what, but uh, as interesting as this account was, the more you look into the Bible, the more you actually see God doing this very thing. 
changing things up. Going in and, and mess, making things a little different and, and messing up everyone's schedules and uh, orientations. And this is how we've always done it. But God steps in and says, well, let's do something different. Uh, uh, he, they, they, he always doing things that is counter to human nature and going against the norm. And when it comes to who will serve who and where the power and the authority ultimately flows through, um, there are many instances where we see the older shall serve the younger. Many examples in the Bible where this happening. And all, all the babies of the family are excited to hear that. Uh, and so um, when the prophet Samuel is told by God to go and anoint the next king of Israel, which is a big deal, obviously. Become king changes everything. Uh, it's a big deal for one thing. Number one, whoever is anointed king, that completely changes your life. Uh, alters the destiny for your family. I mean, it's a, it's a life changer, a destiny changer to be anointed king. Uh, and number two, the, number, the second reason why it's a big deal is that is, there's currently a king on the throne in Israel, King Saul. And uh, he has sons, which are alive. And so in a monarchy, guess what? Saul's oldest son becomes next king. But yet here Samuel is told by God, go, just go somewhere else. Go to somebody, go to Jesse's house and anoint the next king. Uh, Sam, you read the account, Samuel was a little afraid because obviously king, there's a king that's still in charge and still in power. And if he got word of what was happening, you know, and things, uh, things wouldn't look good, especially with Saul's uh, nice demeanor that he had. Uh, and so um, uh, Samuel is told by God uh, to, to go do that. And so here we go again. God is starting to mess things up a little bit because the next king should be Jonathan, Saul's oldest son, uh, and instead, Samuel should be going to Saul's house to anoint Jonathan, right? That's the way man does things. That's the way the natural order uh, and birth order of things are. But that's not where the Lord told Samuel to go. He said, go to the house of Jesse, and I will tell you who to anoint as the next king. Verse 1 Samuel 16, and it came to pass... When they were come, this is Jesse and all his sons, that he took, uh, he looked, Samuel looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now you may not know who Mr. Eliab is, but I'm going to give you one guess of where he falls in the birth order of things. Jesse is not going to send his youngest sons to stand before Samuel not before he sends his firstborn. So Eliab is Jesse's firstborn, and sure enough, he's the first one to stand before Samuel because, hey, the, he's come to anoint the kings and the firstborn. I get that the way things work around here is the firstborn is first in line, and so there he goes. And, and even Samuel says, wow, surely this is the man. Look at him. He's the firstborn. He looks like a king to me. Uh, and, and so, but that's not what happened. 
1 Samuel 6, 17, uh, 16, 7, but the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not unto his countenance, nor the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so here we go. The Lord doesn't care what other people say. He doesn't care about the, the natural order of things and, and, and traditions and things. God looks on the heart of people. And he, he can elevate and he can exalt somebody that has a good heart over somebody else. Uh, doesn't care what the opinions of the people say. God sees a deeper uh, heart. He can see inside our heart. And so here we go. God is rejecting the birth order. Starting to mess things up again. And not only does he reject the firstborn, he rejects the secondborn. And so the number three is like, all right, I'm in that, I'm number one now. Nope. Rejected, 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 rejected. Uh, all the way down, seven of them got rejected. Seven of them got rejected. And uh, verse, verse 10, and Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and said unto Sam, uh, and Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. What are you sending me? And Samuel said unto Jesse, are these all your kids? Something's not adding up here. Something is not adding up here. All your sons here, and God has rejected every single one of them. Uh, so we're at an impasse here. Something ain't adding up. And Jesse said, Well, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down until he comes thither. Look at the words that Samuel just said. We sit down until the youngest comes. We're not sitting down until the youngest comes. I know you seven brothers don't care about David. I know he's number eight and you don't care a lick about him. And it seems that even David's father, Jesse, really didn't think too much of him. I mean, Samuel's coming to anoint the king and you're not bringing all your kids? You bring them all, but but let, let David eh, just leave, leave him out there. He's not he's not going to amount to much. Uh, and so when Daniel uh, Samuel comes to anoint the next king of Israel, he doesn't even tell David about it. Ah, yes, the youngest. There's not much potential. Let him tend to the sheep. But Samuel was sent there by God to anoint a son of Jesse. As the next king. And all seven sons have been rejected. And so there remains only one more. And so now you do the math. Because Samuel's did. And therefore he said, we are not going to sit down until he comes. Why? Because you don't sit around while you're waiting for a king to come. 
You're not going to sit on the couch when you know a king is getting ready to come through that door. No, you stand at attention. We're not going to sit down until the king comes. You seven brothers, you probably never stood for your brother, but guess what? You're not sitting down today. We're all going to stand and at, at attention until the king comes, and he can tell us that we can stand at ease. And so for the first time in your life, you're going to stand, and you're going to give honor, and you're going to give respect. Respect unto your younger brother because I've got a bottle of oil and I've been sent to pour it on somebody's head and it's not any of you guys. So you had better stand and prepare your hearts because the older brothers are about to serve the youngest. Because the youngest is about to become king. And that's going to change everything in your life you ever thought about your younger brother. In verse 12, and he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Uh, this is not the son that man would have chosen. This is not the one that Jesse would have chosen. This is not the one that tradition would have chosen. But this is the son that the Lord has chosen. And you know what? That's the only tell you today, God chooses you. He loves each and every one of you. We are all children of the most high God. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. God says he loves you. God's going to bring you through it. God's going to be there for you. That's all that matters. You've got a calling, and your calling is greater than the natural world out there. And so you've got something that far exceeds the natural man. The, the, the abilities are gifting. We've got a calling from God. We've got an anointing from God, and he's called us for such a time as this, and it doesn't matter what anyone else says because God has called us. God has anointed us, and he's got a plan and a purpose for our life. And the natural man, they're not going to understand it. They don't understand it because all, all they're used to is a natural order of things, the birthright. This is how things work and operate uh, because uh, and the natural man will fight you because of it, because of what God is doing in your life, the natural man cannot do. The natural man cannot go where the spiritual man goes. And so he cannot go where God is calling you, so there will always be a struggle between the two, man's will and God's will, man's way of doing things and God's way of doing things, the firstborn and the secondborn. So all God needs us to do is just to hold on. To what he's given us. Hold on to that dream. Hold on to that vision. Hold on to that prayer. And keep on believing and trusting in him. And his purpose and his plan is going to be accomplished. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I know if God said it, I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to hold on to that. Amen. Because nothing can stop the will of God. There's no power. There's no devil. There's no giant that's too big that can defeat our God. Amen. He is for us. Amen? Musicians, if you would come. Abraham's. Abraham's firstborn was not Isaac. Abraham's firstborn, his name was Ishmael. But that's not 
who the promise came to. That's not where the, the birthright the first uh, of the firstborn went. That's not where what God's plan was. It was Abraham's second son, his youngest son that God chose. And Ishmael will one day serve Isaac. They're not, they have no plans right now to serve Isaac. But Ishmael will one day serve the younger uh, and so we see this happening quite often, actually, begin to look at it and, and understand the things. All the way back in the beginning, Cain, the oldest, the firstborn, he was bothered when God accepted his younger brother's sacrifice. And Cain said, I'm not going to be serving my younger brother because I'm the firstborn. That's not how things work. And so Cain thought that he fixed that issue by killing his, own, his only brother. But then Adam and Eve, they had another son whose name was Seth. And we know, studying the scriptures, that guess what happened through Seth? That's where the promise came. Ended up coming through the younger brother. And so uh, Seth, the youngest, uh, is where the promise of the seed came. And so once again, the older brother is going to serve the younger. Maybe not in this life, but at, 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 at some point, the older is going to serve the younger. And, and we see plenty of biblical examples of God messing up the natural birth order. And seeing the firstborn serve the secondborn, or the, the youngest, whatever. As long as they're not the first, uh, they're the youngest. And, and so, how does this apply to my life today? We don't really follow these things today. Maybe your family might give the firstborn a double portion. Uh, if so, do you guys adopt? Because, you know, we're all one family, right? And, and so parents, if the firstborn has offered to help you with your will and estate planning, they're probably a believer in birthrights. And they're looking for some help. But here is where all of this applies to every single one of us. It doesn't matter where we are with our siblings. It doesn't matter where we are in the natural birth order of things because as we have seen, God doesn't always follow the natural birth order. He doesn't always follow man's traditions and man's customs. Uh, and the truth is, in the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter how and where you were born because Jesus wants you to be born again. He doesn't care if you're firstborn or middle child or last. That doesn't matter to Jesus. All that matters to him is that you are born again. In John 3 and 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? And how can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Again, here, Nicodemus is is Thinking naturally, How's, how can that happen? Because he's wanting to know. Maybe he's a secondborn and he's like, how, how can I be a, a, a firstborn? 
Uh, and so Jesus answered, Verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, You must be born again. And so plain and simple, it doesn't matter in your life and your family. None of that matters to God. What matters to him is if you are born again or not. And so we are all born naturally. But we have to be born again spiritually if we are to enter the kingdom of God. Because our first birth is of the flesh. That which is of the flesh is of the flesh. And to be born again of the Spirit, thus begins our second birth, is of the Spirit. And so uh, this is also kind of representative of two nations. Two nations inside each and every one of us. We've got our first, our natural birth, and also in the same body we have our spiritual birth. And so we have this struggle now between flesh and spirit. Two different people, two different kingdoms. One is of this world and one is from another world. And flesh and spirit, they don't really get along because the natural does not want the supernatural around because then that means the natural is not in charge anymore. And so Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another and so that you cannot do the things that you would. And so in the eyes of God, we are all firstborns of the flesh. We're all firstborns of the flesh. But in the kingdom of God, the firstborn... The elder, eldest, shall serve the younger. And so in the kingdom of God, the flesh, which is the firstborn, needs to serve the spirit, which is the secondborn. Unless you came out speaking in tongues, you were born in the flesh first, and then you were filled with the Holy Ghost at some other point in your life, and thus began your, your, your spiritual birth. Uh, and so we see in Ephesians 4 that you put off concerning the former conversation, or, or better word is lifestyle, of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so that is an example of the entry into the kingdom of God. Because when you repent and you get baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, a lot more is going on there than you just getting wet. No, what's happening is you're burying that old man. You're saying goodbye to the firstborn. You're saying goodbye to the flesh. You're saying, I've come in contact with a super supernatural power that is greater than my flesh. And so flesh, you have to be buried in the waters of baptism and be buried in the name of Jesus Christ where that carnal, corrupted version of yourself goes to die. 
And through this power of being filled with the Spirit of God and speaking in tongues, now you begin to walk in this newness of life. Now you are a new person created in Christ. As 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so here we go again. God's starting to mess things up. He's the, the natural birth order of things. That's got to be changed. You got to be born again. and You get to have a fresh start, uh, a fresh calling from God, an anointing from God, because this is who God has chosen. This new creature that God helps create in you, through the power of his spirit. And uh, we have done things on our own uh, that uh, we, we have lived the life of the firstborn. We have made all the decisions based on our firstborn, our flesh, what we want to do. Our will, our desire, our kingdom, what I feel like doing, what I don't want, uh, where I want to go, what I don't want to do. Uh, and so we have lived a life. When the firstborn is in charge and his birthrights rule our life. And what I've come to find out is that when the firstborn is in charge, my life is empty. It's lacking. It's, there's, 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 uh, you can pursue after things that the firstborn desires, but you'll always be incomplete. Uh, there's always a part of you that is lacking. Why? Because the natural birth order is limited by the natural laws. But once you step out of the natural world and into the spirit realm, there is no limitations in God because you are born again. You are born of the spirit, and God is limitless. God is all-powerful and almighty, and the, the, the sky is the limit with God if we are born of the spirit. And so when we do that, that's why we say uh, goodbye to the flesh. We want to follow after the spirit. We understand that there's a, a, a war, they, they're contrary to one another, we, that we have this uh, new birth experience, but yet we're still wrapped in this flesh, this body, this, this corrupted body uh, that we have a struggle with daily between our flesh and our spirit. Both sons, both children are at war with each other because they're contrary, and that the flesh wants to rule, and doesn't want to allow the spirit to rule, because when the spirit rules, uh, the flesh uh, doesn't work out too well for the flesh. Because the spirit will say, I, I'm calling you to fast for three days. And then that, flat, that firstborn says, what? I'm not, get, I'm not eating anything for three days? I don't like that. I'm going to make you pay for that. I'm going to send you some hunger pains like you've never felt before. Why? Uh, the, the, the spirit and the flesh, they war against one another, and it's contrary to one another. Uh, and so every single day there is a struggle in our life. Uh, well, th there shouldn't be a struggle because uh, we should be walking in the spirit, and we have the flesh crucified and submitted, uh, that we've submitted the firstborn to the secondborn, that our flesh has been submitted to the spirit. And if, if there isn't complete submission, then there will be a struggle. There will be a struggle in our life. You stand with me today. If you haven't been born again, if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, 
I implore you today to do that. We have warm water back here. We have robes. We can baptize you in Jesus' name, and we can start working away and, and telling that firstborn of the flesh, it's, it's your time to go. Uh, your, your voice is no longer heard around here. We're not caring about your carnal desires, or your fleshly appetites anymore. Why? Because I'm tapping into something that is greater, uh, a supernatural power that God has filled us with. Uh, and so uh, that is the beginning of a new life in Christ, being filled with his spirit and baptized in Jesus' name. I'm here to tell you today that if you haven't done that and you start making that step forward, I'm here to tell you your life is not going to be the same. It's going to be made change for the better. Why? Because you're starting to draw closer to God. You're starting to, to leave the natural world and to step into where God is calling us. Now, once you've been born again, now you are not rejected of God. Because no flesh shall glory in his presence. And if we're naturally, our firstborn is our flesh. We got to get rid of our flesh if we're going to get into the presence of Almighty God. Uh, now we are not rejected of God, but now we become anointed by God. And now God pours his oil over our head and says, this is my son. This is who I'm calling. This is my anointed one. Now you've been born of the spirit and the limitations now are removed. And you're empowered to live the life that God is calling you to live. Those that have been born again, those second born of the Spirit, God has placed something inside of us that this world does not understand. It, it, just, it just doesn't blend in. You can't, uh, a sold out apostolic person is just not going to blend into this world. Why? Because something has happened. Something has changed on the inside. And we don't blend in with the natural like the other, other natural people do. to stand out. We're called to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And so the world will try to throw you into a pit. The world will cause injustice against you and, and condemn you and, and persecute you and uh, because you are now the youngest. You are the youngest of firstborns of the flesh. And those that are born again, the younger, the older shall serve the younger. Because naturally, naturally we are the sons of Adam. We're the sons of Adam naturally. But when Jesus appears in Scripture, what is he referred to? What is he called? One of the many titles. He is called the second Adam. And in the kingdom of God, the first Adam will serve the second Adam. Because Jesus is the second Adam. And all flesh 
And all, every man, every knee is going to bow at the name of Jesus Christ. And so in the kingdom of God, those that are born again uh, are going to serve with Christ. And so uh, don't listen to what the world has to say. Don't, don't, they don't want that, that. They don't want what you have because they know that they are without power against the supernatural calling of God. The flesh cannot win against the spirit. And so don't listen to their tactics. Don't believe the lies that they're trying to, to try to uh, this diminish you and, and tear you down. We have to keep on holding on. We have to keep on fighting and not just to, to not just to hold our ground, but we got to push back against the enemy. Push back against the forces of darkness. Keep on holding on. Keep on fighting. Keep on believing. I know it's a struggle and I know that one day you may be thrown into a pit. The next day you may be betrayed by those that you hold dear. But I believe that God has spoken to you and has given you a promise and has given you a dream and a vision from this, from another world. And that's what we need to hold on to. We need to silence out the enemy, silence the lies of the enemy, and believe what God has called us to do because we are the children of Almighty God. We are the sons and daughters of the King of the Most High. Amen. And God is for us, and who can be against us? Amen. I believe that God's got great things in store for you. He's got a purpose, and he's got a plan for you in your life. Amen. So I want to open up these altars today to those who want to draw closer to God, those who may be going through a hard time and difficulty because you're facing an attack from the enemy or you're facing an attack from, uh, from your friends or family members. You're facing an attack from this world. And it can be painful at times. But I'm here to tell you that God is going to work all the things out. God has called us to a higher purpose. And he's got a plan in our life. And he's going to see great things happen in our life. I believe that we're going to see revival happen. Because that's the will of God. He's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. People are going to be born again. People are going to be coming to God, uh, filling, uh, being filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized. Why? Because God is in control and nothing can stand in his way. I want to be on the winning side. We are the children of the Most High God. Amen? It doesn't matter what the world says. But God's got, God is fighting for us. Amen? Come on, let's worship the Lord today. Let's begin to seek him. Let's close our eyes. We want you. Hallelujah, Jesus. No we want you, God. We need you in our life. In this Hallelujah. Way. Come on, let's come and worship the Lord. What do you need from him today? Hallelujah, Jesus. Anything is possible. We lift you up, Jesus. Lord, we want you. Lord, we Daughters of the King. Place. 